You turn out to read the Word of God in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis and in chapter number 3. Genesis chapter 3 and at verse 1. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord, of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree 
of life. I mean, this is God's word, and we trust that it will bless to us our reading from it. We're now going to turn to read to, to sing from the same psalm, Psalm 18, this time in the Scottish Psalter, and at verse number 46, on page 222. Psalm 18, at verse 46, on page 222. God lives, blessed be my rock, the God of my health, praised be. God doth avenge me and subdues the people under me. From verse 46 to the end of the psalm to God's praise. God lives, blessed be my rock, the God of my Genesis and to chapter 3, and we can read at verse 14. Genesis 3 and at verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, you shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel, and so on. Now, in every sense of the word, the word of God is a marvellous book. It's a wonderful book. It has survived centuries and has done so because it is the very word of God. And it's perhaps the only book that has ever been written that is so marvelously connected together that we can follow the whole story 
from beginning to end. There is a unity to the, to the Bible that we cannot find in any other book. And that unity, very much, we have focused on the promises of God. When God is telling us what he is going to do beforehand, and by telling us what he is going to do beforehand, he is setting the scene for what we have in his word and what's going to happen in our everyday life. And promises are a wonderful thing at a human level. But promises are far more wonderful when it comes to the promises of God. Because such is the nature of the promise of God that the promise is not just for the moment. And the promise is so full of substance that we only learn what's in the promise as layer after layer is peeled away till we get to the very kernel, till we get to the very essence of what the promise is. And when you read our Bibles, we see that the promise of God given at the beginning of the Bible is gradually unfolded and revealed step by step, connecting the whole of the Bible and bringing us to the time at which Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is born into the world. Promises are wonderful, and the promises of God, they bind the Bible together, and they also give us hope in our dark world. And today I want us to begin to think about the unfolding of God's promises in the life of Jesus, and to show how what happens and is said in the New Testament is so livingly and in a alive way connected to what happens to Jesus that it binds the Bible together for us and gives us a bigger picture of what the person and work of Jesus is about. And of course, when we in the book of Genesis, we're, we're reading the story of God's creation. God created the heavens and the earth, let the earth sprout forth vegetation. There's a paradise created by God, and it's for one purpose, so that the people of God, Adam and Eve, so that they will have a paradise to live, to live in, and so that they will begin to spread the conditions of the garden into the rest of creation and fill the rest of creation with the people of God in the image of God. It's a master plan. And as we read our Bibles, we, we wonder how it ever actually falls into place. And the only reason it does is because it is God's plan and God's purpose. And today, for the first part of our looking at the promises of God, we want to look at these two verses and to see the seed and crisis, conflict, and conquest. When you think first of all of crisis, and when you think of the first crisis in the Bible, we try and find a culprit who caused the crisis. Then we might struggle was it Eve, was it Adam, or was it the serpent, the devil, or Satan? Who was the real culprit? And in the way in which the conversation takes place in the earlier verses, well, we come to verse 14 and God is saying to the serpent, 
because you have done this. And so in these verses and in the steps that God has taken, he is coming to Satan, to the serpent, and he is the main culprit that has caused this crisis in the experience of the world in which Adam and Eve find themselves. And we may ask who, who the serpent is, and we may wrongly have the image of, of, of something crawling on the ground that suddenly is given a voice. But we have to understand that as we read the rest of the Bible and as we come to the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 12 where we understand that the last things are the first things. There in that chapter, at the beginning of the chapter, the dragon is thrown down, that ancient serpent who is the devil and who is Satan. Who is God addressing here? He is not addressing a snake. He is addressing the great enemy of good, the great enemy of God, and the destructive power and influence, the, the personal power that is intent on destroying everything that is good. The serpent is the devil and Satan. And he is described for us here as, at the beginning of the chapter, as Satan who is crafty. One way of understanding the word is in a positive way of being wise. And he is wise in the sense that he knows. He knows all of the information. He knows what God has done. He knows what God has said. He knows what God has said to Adam and to Eve. He is crafty. He uses that information to, to bring about in a, a confrontation with Adam and Eve to persuade them towards behavior that is contrary to what God has told them to do and which is against what, what God has told them not to do. He is crafty. And Jesus describes him in John chapter 8 as somebody who was a murderer from the beginning. There is no truth in him. He is a liar and a murderer and he speaks according to his character. God is speaking to Satan. It may surprise us that there is such a conversation, but it is in such a conversation that we have the first promise of the Bible. And when God is speaking to Satan, he says to him, because you have done this and of course, we have to ask, what has he done? Well, Eva said in the previous verse, the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Satan deceived Eve. We read through the process, did God actually say, and, and the breaking down of Eve's resistance and Accompanied with that was making her focus her eyes on what was desirable and that caused her to doubt the very word of God and there she was deceived. There is deception, there is doubt, there is desire and when these three th things come together then Eve goes for the fruit. Because you have 
done this. And at a human simplistic level, we may ask, so what? The response to that is, is twofold. And the first of these is that because God had spoken to them, made a covenant with them in the garden, his commitment to them and their commitment to him was going to be reflected in the way in which they were not allowed to eat of the tree that was in the midst of the garden. And if they did so, they would surely die. So their right relationship with God was reflected in their obedience to, to God's command and in observing what God had forbidden. And Adam and Eve, Eve was deceived into taking the very thing that God had forbidden and therefore broken the command of God and broken the covenant of God. Things begin to come crashing down the moment that Eve took the fruit ate it herself and gave it to Adam and he ate. She was deceived into transgressing the very command of God and breaking the relationship with him. Point one. Point two is, what I want to suggest is the real crisis. And they are both part of the one crisis, but but the crisis focuses now upon the purpose of God. What is the purpose of God? God blessed Adam and Eve in chapter 1 and verse 28. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful. Have an abundance of children. Multiply. Fill the earth. You see the purpose. Adam and Eve are to to fill the whole of God's creation with people like themselves, children in the image of God, who would have their own children, so that the whole of creation is covered and filled with all of the glory of God. Be fruitful and multiply and fill and have dominion over. Filling the creation with the image of God and changing the whole of creation so that it all becomes a paradise, extending the conditions of the garden to cover the whole of creation. God's master plan. That everything around us was going to be filled with his glory seen and people in his image living in obedience to him. And once Eve was deceived, and she eats of the fruit and gives it to Adam, then this is the crisis. Everything that God has purposed to do, humanly speaking, his plans don't get off the ground. They have no children. And now that God has said that when they eat of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they shall surely die. It's all over. There's nothing to follow. If Adam and Eve are dead, they cannot have children, they cannot fill the creation with the image of God, they cannot change the creation to look like the paradise of God. The crisis. What a downfall and what a fall. 
that in the paradise of the blessing of God, it seems everything is coming to an end. The darkest moment in the history of the world. The darkness that prevails until God speaks. There is darkness. And today we don't want to ever lose sight of what happened in that perfect garden. We don't want ever to lose sight of what God wanted those in the garden to to do in, in serving him. And not ever to lose sight of that dark moment to which we're all connected. As the New Testament reminds us, as in Adam all sinned, all died. The crisis. Because of that crisis, God says to the serpent, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go. And dust you shall eat all the days of your life. God's curse upon Satan the serpent. He will be, he will fall down in submission. He will fall down in defeat and will come to that at the end of our, of our sermon today. But just to note in passing that because he had done this, he was cursed by God but to carry with us the importance at this stage of the crisis. That there can be no children of God as things stand before God speaks. The crisis. Secondly, there is the seed in conflict. And God, in responding to the crisis, and in speaking into the crisis, he sets a program, like a plot that he puts in place, that's going to span the rest of the experience of creation. And drawing us to begin to think of the way in which this is not the end, but it is the beginning of something new. And he says in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman. When God says, I will put, he is establishing and appointing something, usually within his own covenant purpose, and very often with regard to people like David and people like the priests, he puts them, he appoints them to be in his kingdom to serve him and to fulfill a particular role. In this case, God is saying, I will put enmity between you and the woman. But this leaves, certainly in, in an ungodly culture, this leaves God open to the accusation that he is the God who has put enmity into the world. That is the enmity that, that speaks to us, not simply of a, a deep-seated ill will, but as we read through our, our Old Testaments, we see that enmity is really the intention to destroy. And the Philistines sought to destroy the children of Israel 
They give Israel over to the power of the sword because they were their enemies. It was a perpetual enmity. And because of that, they sought to destroy. And so God is is putting in place that which, yes, will create ill will, but is putting in place something that will always seek to destroy. And if, if God is putting that in place, we have to ask the question, why would God do that? There must be a hugely important reason for God saying that he will put enmity into the world. And the reason we have is when we recognize what God is saying here, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. In many circles nowadays, there's such a thing spoken of as positive conflict. In other words, in a room, if we have somebody who has, who has a different viewpoint, can bring positive conflict into a discussion-making process which will lead to a better discussion. There is positive conflict. There is the negative conflict that simply destroys any kind of decision-making process. And when we look at the, the enmity that we have here, the conflict that God is putting in place, we ask ourselves, is it positive conflict or is it negative conflict? And it is positive conflict of a different kind. Because it is conflict that God puts in place for the protection of the woman, for the protection of her offspring. That is to protect them from Satan the serpent who has deceived them. And when we look back to the process and look at the way in which Eve said that the serpent deceived her, let's think of the comparison here. Deception came from a very friendly conversation, a reasoning out from both sides. It seems that Satan and Eve, that they had had that kind of relationship in that moment. It was something that arose out of friendliness and of a relationship. And God is now saying, I will put enmity between you and the woman. The deception arose out of that friendliness that existed. And I'm replacing that friendliness with enmity so that you will not be open to the same kind of temptation ever again. Friendship becomes enmity, becomes conflict, and it separates and it gives protection. And that's the marvelous thing that that follows the woman as she leaves the garden. There are other things said afterwards. But for the protection of Adam and Eve, going out from the garden, out of the paradise of God, there is forevermore in place the enmity that separates from 
said it's her from the devil and the devil from her. That does not mean to say that like the Philistines, the devil will not seek to destroy. But it does take away the, the, the place that too close a friendship might have in leading to further sin. And when we read through out into, uh, into our New Testaments, is that not the case? Look out for your adversary, the devil, who's like a roaring lion seeking to devour. Satan desired to have Peter that he may sift you as wheat. Satan was after Jesus himself from the moment that he was born when Herod wanted to, to destroy him. And he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by, by the devil. There was that whole process of, of temptation that arose because there are enemies. Do not be surprised, says John in 1 John 3, if the world hates you. It's what you expect. It hated me, so it will hate you. It persecuted me, it will persecute you. I will place enmity between you and the woman. And today we want to be very mindful of that. We hear Paul writing to the church in Corinth and he is concerned about them that as the serpent deceived Eve, the serpent deceived Eve, that they will be deceived out of a true devotion to Christ and to follow another course of action. And today we want to, to be always mindful of God's call and his claim upon us as the children of God, as the people of the Church of Christ in the world, called upon to be separate, to be holy, not to be friends with the devil or friends with the devil as the God of this world or friends with this world because the friendship of this world, says James, brings about death. We consistently live in devotion to our God and in that devotion recognizing that the purpose and will of God is always contrary to the, the will of the devil and the purposes of, of the devil and that we are always on our guard against the devil and his purposes. He is subtle. He is dangerous. But he always has the one purpose in view, to destroy. Destroy every desire for the Lord. Destroy every occasion of devotion to the Lord. Destroy everything that marks out the people of God as those whom God has called to be his own children in the world. And when we think of the conflict the conflict itself and the declaration of the conflict gives us to see that God's purposes are not over. Because I will put enmity between your offspring and her offspring. Will there be? 
the children of Adam and Eve. Yes, God's purpose is will not fail. There will be the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent that Jesus describes, uh, the way in which Jesus describes that the Jews in John chapter 8, you are of your father the devil. They are children of Satan by their intention, by their character, and by their disobedience to the, to the law of God. There are the two seeds, the two groups of people in the world forevermore. And we don't need to read too far into the story. In Genesis chapter 4, when we see this very thing happening, when Cain kills Abel because he was jealous of him. Two seeds. Cain was cursed and God gave, gave Adam and Eve another offspring, another seed instead of Abel. It appeared in her own home and so it has been ever since that in the world there is the conflict, there is the enmity, there is the destructive intent of evil against the children of God. The seed in crisis, the seed in conflict, and finally, the seed in conquest. Where is the hope? If it's all about enmity that's going to be repeated generation after generation, we have the hope and the promise of the singular references at the end of this verse. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. Here we have pronouns that speak to us of an individual. An individual that is part of the offspring of the woman that is himself going to be the target of the enmity of the serpent. So, so we're going from a multitude of, of children, of seed, of offspring, and spreading out into the world, and converging at last on this one individual, the seed of the woman. And when we take that singular reference into the, the New Testament, we see that here we have the first announcement of the coming of the Son of God into the world, born of a woman. So that when we come to the manger in Bethlehem, we've, we trace the whole line of promises and the organic way in which the Bible is written, we trace it all of the way back and we have it here hanging off this verse here in the midst of God's declaration to the serpent we find the light of this promise. The Son of God who comes into the world. A virgin shall conceive, says Isaiah in chapter 7, and bring forth a son. Words that are fulfilled when, when Jesus is born. That holy child that is born of you will be called the Son of God. And he comes for a conquest. Here is the announcement that sends me to what happens in the passion of Jesus on 
Calvary's cross. You, he shall bruise your head and you shall crush his heel. There is a fatal blow struck by the seed of the woman on the head of the serpent. He will crush your head. There is no life after this kind of blow. It is fatal. And if, it's, if it does not bring about death at the time, then it begins the process of dying that will come about at a later date where the person is truly dead. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel so that as the Son of God, the seed of the woman, is crushing the serpent, the serpent fights back against the, the seed of the woman and in doing so crushes or, or, or bruises or, or bites the heel of the seed of the woman. And we, we, we take all of these images and we, we take them to the cross at Calvary first of all, where Paul describes the way in which Jesus has come and, and on the, the great cross at Calvary, he has disarmed rulers and authorities. He has put them to an open shame, triumphing over them. When I see Jesus dying in what appears to be the victory of the world and of Satan against him, he is crushing the head of the serpent. And I see that working out in the rest of history because I recognize two things after the cross where, where Jesus crushed the head of the serpent. I see from Revelation 12 that he is still very active. That because he was thrown out of heaven, that he goes to, to, to chase the children of the woman out of enmity seeking to destroy them as long as the world exists. He's here today. Let's not forget that. He is here today in his enmity against you wanting to swallow up everything that comes from God that's meant for you. And he wants to open up a, a, a channel in the earth that will swallow all of the words of God so that they won't reach you. He is very active. And he is spending all of his energy trying to destroy the children of God and the church of God every stage in the history of this world. But then comes the end. And Paul tells the the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 16, that in order to encourage them that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The day is coming when the war will be over. The conflict will come to an end. The children of God are taken into the new paradise of God and Satan is thrown into the lake of fire along with his angels and all those who served him the fatal blow finds its final impact at the end of the age when we are safe with our God and with our Saviour in heaven 
the seed and the conquest. The promise that is worked out. Here is what Arthur Pink says with regard to these words as we close. Though Satan had encompassed the downfall of man, it is announced that one shall come and bruise his head. By woman had come sin. By woman should come the saviour. By woman had come the curse. By woman should come him who would bear and remove the curse. By woman paradise was lost. Yet by woman should be born the one who should regain it. O oh, what grace the Lord of glory was to be the woman's seed. May we rejoice in such a glorious plan. May we rejoice that the crisis is over because God has sent his son into a conflict situation to remove this serpent, this Satan, from the scene and to allow the people of God to be led through this world and ushered into the paradise of God safely and securely, protected by him in a conflict situation. May God bless his word to us. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we are thankful to you for the way in which your word of grace speaks unto our lostness and our hopelessness. And we rejoice for the way in which your word of grace is seen especially in the passion of your Son and your sending of him in his coming to us and in the work in which he was engaged and which he completed. Bless your word us today and help us to rejoice in the knowledge that you are faithful, that you will fulfill all that you have purpose to do and that you will at last bring us all together as the people of God into your glorious presence. Be merciful to us, we pray, and hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen. Closing Psalm is Psalm number 22 in the Scottish Psalter. It's on page 229, Psalm 22, at verse 28. Because the kingdom to the Lord doth appertain as his, likewise among the nations, the governor he is. From verse 28 to the end of the psalm, to God's praise. Because the kingdom to the
stand with a benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.